Good morning. Welcome everybody here, everybody online, as most of you know. My name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors. Um, and today we are going to do Psalm 13. Now, Psalm 13 is one of the shortest psalms of the psalms. It only has six verses. And when you go through it, you have to kind of ask yourself, um, was this written by two different people? I mean, because in the beginning we see a man in pain. He's struggling, he is suffering, and at the end we see a man singing for God, singing his praise. Um, but there's only one man, and, and that man, of course, is David. And arguably, there's two of us in every one of us, right? There's that fallen self, there's that remnant that remains, that, that has a difficulty following. We tend to go ways that we shouldn't go that are inconsistent with the life that God has commanded us to live. Um, and those um, challenges um, are there. I so much wish the process of salvation was, boom, you're saved and all your temptations are gone. You no longer want to fill in the blank. You know, I no longer want to eat too much. I no longer want to... Um, well, we won't fill too many of those things out, but the, uh, <laughs> you, you get the idea, right? There's just, there, there's stuff that just is still there, right? And it'd really be great if those things are gone, but they aren't. They still exist in our life. Um, but here's the cool part. The fact that you can recognize them is a great sign. The fact that you're aware that that is there really means a lot, because an unbeliever doesn't know that. The unbeliever doesn't have that guidance. But we're not alone. Uh, we realize that we must trust in the Lord and in his way if I'm to escape. And remember, Paul had a very similar struggle, right? We read in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, as we go through the psalm, we kind of see a pattern, right? David starts so many of psalms where he's struggling with something, and in the end, he's given it to God. Um, and this process of realizing that your dependency is on God and not on yourself is fundamental to getting through all of these issues, right? So the, we're really many times incapable of fixing them ourselves uh, because that very flawed nature leads us in the wrong direction. So we have to surrender um, ourselves to God and let him guide us and then we can overcome. Now, I named this pain, prayer, and praise because this psalm is actually broken into three parts. Um, the first two verses address David's pain, the next two, his prayers, and finally the last two, his praise. But there's also another threefold break in this that he's concerned with God, with himself, and his circumstances. So the beginning of the psalm is a man in pain. Verse, uh, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So you'll see in this that there's four how longs. Um, it's clearly he's a man in pain. Um, and we ask ourselves, in pain with what? What is he struggling with? Well, as we recall, David had lots of things to worry about. Uh, there was Saul, there was Absalom, um, who all wanted him dead. Um, of course, he faced illness and fear of death. Certainly, he pray, uh, faced deprivation while he was on the run, you know, trying to avoid getting killed. And the other part is there's probably guilt from past transgressions. We know David wasn't sinless. He'd stumble. Um, so we have these four how longs. The first one, how long, says, God, how long will you forget me? As if God could forget anything or anyone, right? Um, but David is feeling a feeling that many of us have felt at one time or another. God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? I prayed for mercy, but I didn't get it. You know, I, I prayed for healing, but I didn't get it. I prayed for peace, but my life is surrounded with chaos. Um, I pray for happiness, but only find unhappiness. God, I need your help. Have you forgotten about me? I, um, when I was in college, we used to go down uh, and surf. Uh, I went to, as many of you know, I went to the University of Spoiled Children in Los Angeles, and so just down the road was the Pacific Ocean, and so we'd love to surf. And um, if you've ever been surfing and you get caught off by a rogue wave, you're, you're tumbling under the water. Well, in that process, of course, you're trying to get back up out of the water so you can breathe, and yet here comes another wave, and you're just getting pounded. Fortunately, it was sand. Uh, other places I've served, there were rocks. Um, but you're, you know, you're just constantly, you're fighting for a breath. You're like one wave after another after another. Um, and yet that's what sometimes it feels like in our life. Right? I, I want it to stop so I can get a breath, but that's not what happens. I get another struggle. I get something else that happens to me. Um, and you get tired of it. You get tired of struggling for that breath, that, 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 that relief. And your thought is, God, have you forgotten about me? But we know that God never forgets and he never forsakes us. Deuteronomy 31.8 reads, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So while we may feel that he has forgotten about us, we know he hasn't. Now it's interesting because there's a lot of no that's not a no. Right? You know because you've read it, but you don't, it hasn't like sunk in, right? The emotion is there that says, man, where are you? Even though we know he's there. So the second how long is like the first. God, how long will you hide your face from me? Now here's the really cool part about that verse, right? If you long for God's face, it's because you've seen it. Because the unbeliever doesn't know what God's face looks like and has no idea the benefit or the, the loving kindness that that face shows. But as believers who have seen God's face, we long for it. Mm -hmm. 
the believer knows and yearns to see it again. Psalm uh, uh, 4, verses 6 to 7 says, Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. The psalmist knows that looking upon the face of God brings joy. There's an old Arab proverb that reads, all sun makes a desert. A little rain has to fall if something is going to grow. And through the struggles in our life, we grow in our belief and our reliance on God. The storms of life, inevitably, if you're surrendering to God, blow away the self-dependency, this illusion that we're in charge and we're in control and that we can decide what's going to happen. Especially if, once you get to my age, you realize you're in control of virtually nothing. Um, you have to find confidence that God's driving you. So, much like, you know, a young bride yearns to see her soldier's face appear in the doorway of the airplane, so too we should yearn to see the face of God. It's interesting when I think about that, when, when I was younger, Don and I were first married, I was in the Air Force, and I would deploy for long periods of time and not see her for long periods of time, and there was no internet, there was no, so we would get letters, and they would be delivered every two weeks. That's all I knew of my wife, was these letters that I got, and she wrote a lot more than I wrote, but the, um, I figured you're only gonna deliver once every two weeks, then you need one every two weeks. The, uh, <laughs> but, the, but it was interesting, because when the deployment ended, and I'm stepping down from the airplane, the first thing I do when I step out of the doorway and onto the steps is look for her face. I yearned to see her face, and she yearned to see mine. There was joy in each other. When we locked eyes, it was, yes, joy, I see her face. Likewise, we should long to see God's face. We should long to be again seeing that glow, that love, that peace that exists in God's face. Now, the third how long is a struggle within David himself. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Now, there may be several things that you might wrestle with with your thoughts. First of all, you may be struggling with your circumstances. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. This shouldn't happen to me. And if you think you're alone in that feeling, read the book of Job. So indeed, the first verse in this psalm suggests that there's some undeserved conflict going on in David's life. And that's the reason for his sorrowful thoughts. But the second half of this verse suggests otherwise. So taking time for an introspective look at yourself um, is a good thing. It'll help you see thoughts and feelings that you have that are inconsistent with what God says uh, about you and who you are. Um, and then you can look retrospectively at these thoughts and feelings uh, to understand where they come from. 
part of every 12-step program has a step where you take a fearless and moral inventory of yourselves. You ask yourself, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I feel the things that I do? Um, and then once you realize their sources and their inconsistency with God's plan in your life, you can address them with God, right? You and God. And David realized this process of thoughtful introspective of oneself is only fruitful if God is there. We read in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I'll remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. Once you realize where you are and where it comes from, you and God to work together to get them out of your mind and your life. Now, I'm a workaholic and a perfectionist. That probably doesn't surprise too many of you. Um, but in a sense, I received these traits from my dad. Um, I did everything I could in my life as a child to please my father, but that never happened. And in that process, I became a workaholic and a perfectionist, trying to find the solution. And it's good to have a strong worth ethic, and it's important to care how well you do something, but you shouldn't be obsessive about it. <laughs> I tend to be obsessive. You can ask Donna. <laughs> the, uh, but again, I'm working on those things, right? God and I have recognized, hey, this is where it comes from. So when someone is interested, someone will, they know I'm a workaholic. And so they're like, hey, Eric, can you do this? And the first thing I think of, of course, is sure I will, right? But then I have to stop and I go, okay, that's, that's that thing. Now I have to ask myself, do I really want to be doing this? Is it okay to say no? Uh, one thing I was shared a long time ago was that by saying no, you give someone else the opportunity. <laughs> and so I have to tell myself, say no, even though there's part of me that says yes. I want to go do that. And the other part that I struggle with that is I tend to put those same requirements on other people, right? And if you put expectations on other people that you don't tell them about, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. It's a given, you know? And if you're disappointed long enough, you'll become resentful, right? Those are all that flow, and if you just step back and say, okay, God, where is this coming from? Why do I feel this way? He'll help you through it. And David feels that this enemy is triumphing over him. So who is this enemy? Well, it's the one that's accusing him, or is it the one that's accusing him of his failures? Is it the enemies we know of as shame and guilt? Well, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging, and it can be debilitating. Guilt is the sense of remorse and the desire to make amends. Satan attacks us with guilt and shame. We have absolutely no reason to feel shame because we are all uniquely and purposely created beings by the creator of the universe, and we carry the image of God within us. There is nothing for us to be ashamed by. 
if we recognize who we are in God. One of the messages when, when Donna and I were doing foster care, one of the most important messages that we wanted those kids to know is that God created them purposely and has a plan for them and loves them and they carry his image. We used to tell them, you may have surprised your parents, but you didn't surprise God. He's got a plan. Now, having guilt in your life means that you know what God wants in your life and what he doesn't. Guilt, for a time, is a good thing. But only for a time. And Satan will try to use those failures against you over and over and over. But don't let him. You've been washed with the blood of Christ. You've been forgiven. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Brothers and sisters, repent and move on. God forgives you and you should forgive you. All right, second piece of this, a man in prayer. We read in Psalms 13, verses 3 and 4, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now, verses 3 and 4 is a significant shift from 1 and 2, right? Verses 1 and 2, David is in pain and suffering. His circumstances are overbearing, and he feels like God has abandoned him. But in verses 3 and 4, he knows the solution. Take it to God. So when all of the struggles of life are heavy on you, you have two choices. You can haul it around on your own, try to figure everything out on your own, come up with your own wonderful plan, or you can take it to God. 1 Peter verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of suffering. You see that? <clears throat> you are not alone. We know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. David knows that God will give him the strength and guidance to overcome the things that are going on in his life. And God will give him the ability to persevere. Now, as many as you know, um, I went through a surgical procedure a couple weeks ago, and it was supposed to take an hour, and it took four and a half, and it, I didn't feel like it accomplished anything, and I met with my cardiologist Wednesday, and he said, you're right, it hasn't accomplished anything. Um, so you can have two thoughts when that happens. I remember sitting in the truck outside the cardiologist's office, and I'm thinking, 
golly, <laughs> woe is me, right? Gosh, why isn't this, why didn't this get fixed? I really want this to get fixed. Or you can look at it and say, I appreciate what I do have. You know, I'm truly blessed. I, I realize that if I lived in 97% of the countries in the world, I'd be dead already. And if I was born 50 years ago, I'd be deader. That's a, well, I would have died sooner, let's put it that way, right? There's technology that keeps me alive that didn't exist, right? We were talking earlier now, there's, there's, I literally have all these devices in my house that report to my doctor how I'm doing. My bed and my BiPAP machine send information to my sleep doctor to tell how things are going. And if there's an alert, they, she calls me. Hey, what happened? My pacemaker reports to a little machine next to my bed to my, the, the cardiologist that review my charts. All this technology where they can say, oh, that's bad. You know, let's fix that. So don't get me wrong. I really wish God would fix it. I really do. But I realize that he may not. And that I will continue to try to get it fixed, but live with what I have and be appreciative with what I have. Again, whatever the outcome, I can take it to God. And you can tell him you're mad. You can tell him you're frustrated. You can tell him you're unhappy. It's okay, he can take it, right? He hasn't forgotten about me. He hasn't turned his back toward me. He's not turned me over to my enemy. He's with me. He's got this. And it's good to remind yourself of that daily. There's this cool little app that Tim turned me on to called Pause. Um, and it's an app on your phone and it, it plays a little 10 minute recording about various things, strength, healing, faith, etc. It's really cool. Um, and it, it's especially cool because it plays through my hearing aids. Um, so nobody knows you're doing it. Um, so if you're in one of those really boring long meetings, you can kind of like, you know, be, uh, <laughs> right? But it gives you the chance to surrender to God, surrender to God, have peace in God. Um, right, we know Paul had an ailment that God didn't remove. But in the end, it will be removed because at some point I'll be no longer shackled to this body. I will get a new one. And live eternally in it. Um, looking forward to that one. Um, all right. There's another important concept that comes from these verses. And I, I'm certain many of you can understand this. Once you give something to God, don't take it back. <laughs> right? Oh, God, you got this. Oh, hey, I got an idea. Uh, like somehow I know more than he does, right? I mean, you wouldn't tell your doctor how to perform surgery or a dentist how to pull a tooth, but we're more than willing to offer God solutions to our life. Um, you know, I'm going to suggest to the creator of the universe how best to solve this problem. Um, and then when he doesn't do it, I get angry. Now, how absurd is that? <laughs> right? But what's what we do? I have a plan. I used to have a bumper that said, Man plans, God laughs. <laughs> All right, the last part of this is a man in song. So verses five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise 
for he has been good to me. What a change of heart. In verses 1 and 2, David is in pain and suffering. In verses 3 and 4, he's praying for a heartfelt prayer, knowing that God will listen to his pleas. And in 5 and 6, he is rejoicing in his God. He's rejoicing in his salvation. Now, the tense in this is present. It's not that he will be rejoicing when this struggle goes away. No, he's in this struggle and he's rejoicing. All right? He is in this struggle and he is singing. He is in this struggle and he is praising God because God has been so good to him. His circumstances haven't changed, but his perspective has. We read in Psalm 143, verses 7 and 8, Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go, for to you I entrust my life. David knows God is with him, and he can count on God's unfailing love. And the results of knowing that is rejoicing and singing. And there's been times that I'm going through something, and I feel God lift that weight off of me. And if you've been in that situation where something is just really on your heart, and you say, God, I let it go, and it does. And there's this weight that is off of you. It's like, I can breathe again. It's interesting, I had a friend of mine, um, he went with me up to um, Promise Keepers. And um, at the Saturday event at Promise Keepers, he accepted the Lord. And I'll tell you, he was a very different guy going home than he was going there. You could see it in his face. He was joyful. He met God. He, he, he discovered what I already knew, and he was excited. He emanated, bless you, he emanated joy. But the struggles of life can put a pale of, a pall of gloom on our faces. You know, there's people, you can just see the sadness that's in their face. Um, I remember one time we were at the mall, Donna and I were walking down the main part of the mall, and Donna looks at me and she says, oh, I wonder what's on her heart. Something is really heavy on her heart. And of course, I was oblivious to it, and I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, and then off she took. So chased her down and went to talk to her, and um, you know, this, this young lady had this fallen countenance that Donna saw and realized that there needed to be something done about it. And we know that people that are in sadness like that, they carry that on their face. You can see it. Now, just so you know, Donna has a gift for that. No, don't walk through the hall at the hospital with her. You'll take you a long time to get anywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and if, you're, if you're new to it, it'll be kind of weird. Uh, we had a couple of foster kids that were like, what's that about? Yeah, don't worry. 
you know, we've been married 38 years, so I'm used to it now. But it, she just has an awareness of it that I don't have. Um, the opposite is also true, right? When a person is in joy, you can see it on their face, right? Look at the picture of a lady holding a new baby, right? They glow. There's, even though they just went through probably one of the most painful things of their life, they're glowing. They're excited, they're happy, they're joyful, they glow. And when we find spiritual joy, we will glow too. We will have that energy within us. Um, I see it on the worship team. I love it when I look at Deborah and Pat and others up here. They love what they're doing. They're smiling. They're singing in joy. It's great. But David is filled with joy. His heart is rejoicing. His tongue is singing. I remember the words of an old hymn that says, I feel like singing all the time. My tears are wiped away. For Jesus is a friend of mine. I'll serve him every day. Right? God's love is unfailing. And the magnitude of God's love for humanity has been demonstrated by the selfless act of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's love is an active presence in our life and matures through the seasons. I would say faith is a muscle. You have to exercise it in order for it to get stronger. But over time, you realize that God's got this. And you stop worrying about the things because God's got this. David didn't put trust in his circumstances. He didn't put trust in the fact that he was supposed to be king. Um, he didn't put faith in anything of the world. He put his faith in God and God alone. And we should do as well. Verse 6 is remarkable given all that David had gone through, right? I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. God has been good to me. And we think of all the hardship that David went through. Reminds the end of Psalm 23, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hope you feel that way as well. Knowing that God is providing for everything, and in the end, you will dwell in his house forever. We should be bursting for joy of the Lord and that you're singing his praises every day. And if you're not, then give it to God. Tell God I'm struggling. Tell God this is heavy. I need your help. I need you to lift off this weight. I need you to pick it up. I need you to help me get rid of it. Trust not in the world, but trust in God. We read in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's good to give your struggles to God. That doesn't mean that they will end, but it means the creator of the universe is standing there side by side with you. Now, this last song we're going to sing, I asked Deborah for us to sing it. I think it's a really cool song. Um, it plays regularly um, on Family Life Radio, and I'm always in the truck driving to and from the work. It's, I love to sing this song. Um, it's called First Things First. It's done by a group called Consumed by Fire. Um, and I want, ask that you, you pray the words as you sing them. I think they're really cool. Lord, I'm so grateful for all that you do. I'm so grateful for the fact that you're there through every struggle. I'm grateful that we can carry things to you and that you can lift them off of us. I pray that everyone here yearns to see your face, that everyone yearns to be in your presence. I pray that everyone knows what it means to praise and rejoice in you, Lord. Amen.